Hello again from Paul and Rachel, the mad folks who live on the hill. It's the <laughs> 22nd of December and welcome again to Here Comes Christmas. And uh, I think we can celebrate today that the days are now getting longer. We're heading back into summer again. Yes, despite it being really, really horrible weather, but it's still very miserable. So yesterday was the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year. Do you think we should have been at the top of uh, Glastonbury Tour celebrating with everybody? I wonder if they were doing something special. Yes. There was a crowd, apparently. Oh, there that? always is a crowd mm. on Glastonbury Tour. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you have to be quite dedicated, don't you, to get up at five o'clock in the morning? Or is it when the sun rises, which could be quite late at this time of year? Yeah, so officially I think it was uh, just after eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, right. actual, okay, that's yeah. better than the summer solstice. So, uh, yeah, that winter solstice, it's, it's important to everybody, uh, not just pagans, because uh, the actual sighting of Christmas Day has a lot to do with the winter solstice as well. In fact, Christmas wasn't celebrated by early Christians at all. It wasn't until the middle of the 4th century that Emperor Constantine declared that the Roman Church would adopt the 25th of December to celebrate Christ's birth, because the Bible doesn't actually give any clues to the date at all. In fact, the nearest thing to a clue in in the Bible story is that we have shepherds tending sheep, which is naturally more of a springtime activity. But Constantine was no fool. Uh, He realised that if you were going to get people on your side for a a celebration, it was a lot easier to tack it onto something that was already happening. So there was already a big Roman festival which took place on the 25th of December, uh, which was the rebirth of the unconquered sun at the end of the festival of Saturnalia. So Constantine had his feet in both camps, both the the sun worshippers and the Christian newcomers. So this is why we have Christmas at this time of year. Unless, of course, you're in Eastern Europe, uh, where it all happens a couple of weeks later, around the 6th of January. I thought it was just because it's exactly six months away from the summer solstice. Yeah, uh, it's six months from the summer solstice, but that's just an astronomical thing. I mean, it has to happen that way. Okay, I've lost you. (laughs) (laughs) You're being boring, Gempel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just like to get these things straight, you know. Okay, shall I give you a little fact of something that happened in days gone by? Give me a factoid. Well, sad. Um, Beatrix Potter died on this day in 1943. Okay, yeah. So... Her of Benjamin Bunny, Peter Rabbit, and so many more stories. And she was a really sound person. Yes. Uh, She was a sheep farmer, and she did a huge amount to protect the countryside in Cumbria, around the Lake District. Yes, I understand she bought up a lot of land around there to keep Mm. it for for posterity. That's right. And when she died, she gave 4,000 acres to the National Trust. Mm -hmm. So she was very good. She she also bred sheep, and there is a Herdwick sheep that is around just simply because of her. So what a lovely lady. But I think she was quite frightening. And I always thought Mr McGregor in Peter Rabbit, was the most frightening person in the world. I remember having nightmares about him as a child. I mean, who would go around boasting that he'd baked your father, which is what 
happened in Peter Rabbit. He was the Voldemort of the bunny yeah. world. <laughs> yes, yes. But her pictures are just still, you look at them and you think they're just absolutely delightful. Aren't she they? was not only a very successful children's author, she's a very good artist and this conservationist and also a, a quite a good amateur scientist as well. She became very expert in fungi and uh, mushrooms and that sort of stuff. And she's acknowledged to be a bit of a pioneering authority in that world. I wonder what she'd say if she'd seen the film that came out of Peter Rabbit two years ago. I hope she would have been chuffed. <laughs> I bet she would. And Peter Rabbit 2 is due to come out next Easter, I think, or next summer. Right. Uh, so something to look forward to. It is. It is. Okay. So, uh, what are we looking at today then? Well, I thought we would look at the NORAD website. Go on, you tell us what NORAD it stands for, because it's hilarious. Well, NORAD is the North American Aerospace Defence Command, which sounds very military and important. And it is well, very, it is. It is very yes. military and important. Um, but it has a very special job at this time of year, doesn't mm. it? Because in the next few days, all of their cutting-edge military technology, their satellites and radar, is temporarily diverted from tracking possible enemy missiles and airstrikes to tracking the Christmas Eve flight of Santa Claus. And how did that come to be? Well, it's funny you should ask, because I've got a little story to tell you. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, NORAD tracks everything that flies in and around North America for the country's defence. On the 24th of December, though, each year, they have the very special mission of tracking Santa Claus. NORAD has been tracking Santa since 1955. The official story told today is that it all started when a newspaper ran a promotion inviting children to call Santa on a special telephone number. One child, however, misdialed the number and ended up connecting with the unlisted phone number of the Continental Air Defence Command, CONAD, their operations centre in Colorado Springs. Air Force Colonel Harry Shoup, the commander on duty that night, was quick to realise a mistake had been made, and he assured the youngster that CONAD would guarantee Santa a safe journey from the North Pole. The true story is probably a little more complicated than that. But in any event, a tradition was born that rolled over into NORAD when it was formed in 1958. Each year since, NORAD has dutifully reported Santa's location on the 24th of December to millions across the globe. Each year, the NORAD Tracks Santa website received nearly 15 million unique visitors from more than 200 countries and territories around the world. The NORAD Track Santa telephone hotline is staffed by over a 1,000 volunteers who receive more than 130,000 calls from children around the globe. New technology allows accurate tracking of Santa through NORAD's 47 radar stations across the USA and their satellite network around the world. Even the same infrared sensors designed to track hostile missile launches are used to pinpoint Santa by homing in on Rudolph's bright red nose. This year, children 
and the young at heart uh, can track Santa through Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Instagram, as well as by downloading the NORAD Track Santa app to your smartphone. Happy Christmas. Well, thank you, Paul, for that. That's very exciting. Do you think people would like to go and see the website? Well, I would. Yeah. Well, there's there's the full military website, which is norad.mil. And then there is the special Santa Tracker website, which is norad, N-O-R-A-D, Santa, S-A-N-T-A, Dot org, And there are all sorts of games that you can go and play on. It's very exciting. And you can see all the elves running around making their presents and doing last minute things to get Santa ready. And then on Christmas Eve, you can track him as he visits each country in the world. And it's, it's hilarious. Okay. Good. It's good, isn't it? It's very, very bright and colourful and just what children want to want to see and want to play with. Well, we tracked him many years with our son Joe, didn't we, we, in his younger years. And uh, I must say, every year Santa has managed to make it in time. It is quite incredible how quickly he gets through. The planning that he must do (laughs) is astounding. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's a very clever chap, isn't he, though? Um. So, shall we have a song about Christmas? I think this is the most beautiful Christmas song. I've said that several times, haven't I, over this last month. (laughs) But this is the epitome of all Christmas songs for me. Strangely enough, called The Christmas Song. It is, isn't it? I was thinking it was called Chestnuts, but it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Written by Mel Torme. Here we go. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping at your nose, Yuletide carols being sung by a choir, and folks dressed up like Eskimos. Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe. Help to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight They know that Santa's on his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child
You might sing the vegan version of that one that says everybody knows a nut roast and some mistletoe mm. makes the season bright. Well, yes, could do, but it's a bit naughty to change somebody's words. Mel won't mind. He's dead, isn't he? He definitely won't mind. <laughs> <laughs> OK, we're going to interview Hannah today. And Hannah works for the Holly Hedge Animal Sanctuary, which is our nearest and dearest animal sanctuary isn't it to where we live in the Chew Valley and it's a local independent charity so you won't see them anywhere else in the country and they rehome unwanted and abandoned and often mistreated cats and dogs Mm -hmm. Uh, so they do a fantastic job but I just wondered what it's like when you give animals away from your care where you know they're definitely safe are you always sure that they're going to the right people let's hear what hannah has to say we've got someone on our reception team who has been doing it for goodness knows how many years a long time and she's a force of nature and she says she gets a feeling But we try very much to kind of let people know why they're not suitable. So you've got to have a, I think you've got a duty of care, really. So you've got to say, look, you both work eight hours a day and then it takes you both an hour to get to work and an hour to get back. So what life is that really for the animal that you need? And, you know, sometimes you've got people who go, I'm going to absolutely make it work. I come back home in my lunch breaks. There's a dog walker who comes and picks up my dog every afternoon. And so, you know, they're getting that quality of life. But yes, it's a very difficult thing because that's that's a whole life, you know. And when they come to us, they've probably been traumatised, even if they've been completely loved by somebody before. It's very hard because they don't have a concept of why they need to part from that person. Mm. So to see them separated, you just want to make sure that they never come back to the sanctuary again, really, and they just have the best life ever. Of course. We were looking at lunchtime and there was a lot in the paper about dogs being stolen at the moment, I presume for the Christmas dog trade. Well, there is that, definitely. You know, we're seeing lots of reports of dogs going missing and what we do now at the sanctuary is we look out for if a microchip has been cut out of a dog because that sometimes happens. You know, we would always encourage people to keep their dogs really safe, go, you know, go on walks where you know there are other people around and just have your phone really handy with an emergency contact. And as soon as, you know, your dog does go missing, if that ever 
God forbid, happens. Do everything. Don't stop anywhere. Your message has to get out to as many people as possible. You have to contact the microchip company, register the dog on Dog Lost or any of the other missing sites. They're brilliant. And then even if you're not on Facebook, get somebody who is on Facebook to go absolutely bananas and just go on all the local missing sites and make that dog too hot to handle, really. Hopefully you will at some point get reunited with your dog. I think it's the most awful thing in the world to have your animal taken from you. And I think there should be harder sentences for people who do such awful things as well. Tell me about your loneliness project. I think there could be quite a lot of people listening to us who are catching up on back episodes, perhaps on Christmas Day, and they're sort of all by themselves. And there's nothing on television on Christmas Day apart from the Queen. So they are going to be at a bit of a loose end. I think that it's, it's, I think it's really sad to think of anyone being alone. And I think the pandemic has really drove home how big a problem that is. We did some research and we found that over half of 75-year-olds live on their own. And I think that being in a pandemic when you're so far away from your family and your friends, it really, it made people in- incredibly depressed. And I think we all suffered with it to a degree. And I'm very lucky that, you know, I, I have a husband and I have my cat. So the Combating Loneliness Project was brought out of us recognising that there was these two great needs. There were these people who were vulnerable, who had health issues. And when the first lockdown was announced, they were in complete panic because these are people that perhaps had relied on neighbours or family and friends to help them take care of their dogs or cats. And then they were being told that they would have to completely self-isolate And they couldn't take their dogs or cats with them if they went to move in with their family members. And that's just heartbreaking. You should never have to make that that horrible choice to choose between being alone and having something that feeds your kind of mental health. We saw that and then we saw this other great need where people were calling us almost every day for a few weeks and they would just say how desperately lonely they were and that the days just blended into one and we're not trained counsellors you know we are just people who are here for the animals and luckily we've been doing it for a really long time and we're all human and to recognise that human need was heartbreaking so we thought we have to do something really and we work with some support workers we've always worked with them for years I think 30 years one of them and we just said look we have to where possible get this message out of course we can't compromise our rehoming needs for the animal because we always want to make sure that the welfare of those animals are met but for anybody listening who's considering it and perhaps they are worried at all about ability or anything like that one thing to always think about before you apply for for an animal with us is okay who are my local dog walkers that I could call up and they could if my dog wanted to go out and have a sniffari who could do that for me if I end up needing to go into hospital or if I need to do something like that what's my plan b that's all we really want to know is that somebody's really thought about their future pet as their family member the way you would for your for your son or your daughter many thanks to Hannah we were talking with my niece Lucy a few weeks ago and she was talking about the research that's been going on at Exeter University into robotic cuddly toys oh yes for people with dementia so these are little cats and dogs that look very kind of realistic but they they move and they yeah. 
uh, react to touch and, and sound, don't they? And, and they're animatronic. Yes, and Lucy works for the Methodist Homes Association with 60 care homes throughout the country. And she was saying how important they are for people who are getting very distressed. And if they are given one of these robotic animals, then the people calm down immediately. And it's a universal thing. Animals are so good for us, aren't they? They're good for our blood pressure. They're good for our our well-being. They have many benefits. We'll put a link to Holly Hedge Animal Sanctuary on our website. And I'm not giving any secrets away, but I bought quite a few people a week of food for a litter of kittens from their website. Well, I think the idea of buying a present which actually benefits people or animals that need it, as opposed to all the trinkets and trivia we give each other that probably doesn't get used after it's after Christmas. I think that's a good way to buy a Christmas present. It is. So friends and family have either got that or they've got a meal and being taken care of by crisis at Christmas. So there are lots of ideas for that on Holly Hedges' website. There are, yes, and at Crisis at Christmas as well. Yes. Okay, it's time to hear again from Reverend Simon Lewis with his next thoughts on the Christmas story. Today, we're back to Christian scripture and another gospel. Our passage is from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22, and is found among the verses 36 to 40. The second most important commandment, said Jesus, is like it. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. And the question. At the heart of all Jesus' teaching is this commandment. There is no doubt we all find it difficult to love our neighbours and love ourselves all the time. Why is this? And what would the world be like if we did do this all the time? Here's my thought, and I start it with another school nativity experience. It's called And the Exonerated Innkeeper. A Sunday school teacher was telling a group of four- and five-year-olds the story of that Christmas morning, and explaining that Jesus was born in a stable because... Regardless of what the mutinous innkeeper may have said, as we heard yesterday, there really was no room at the inn. A worldly wise little lad, sitting at the back of the class, was heard to murmur to his neighbour, I blame Joseph. He should have booked. At some point in our life, most of us have tossed a stone into a pond to hear it splash and see the circles rippling out from where the stone hit the water. From that one stone, waves grow in size, dispersing in all directions. This is the ripple effect. If we see it in terms of how our behaviour influences the behaviour of another, it can be very beautiful. If I am kind to someone, and that person in turn is kind to another, Goodness flows. Do you remember the shepherd's response to the angels? Well, it causes such an effect. 
Let's go to Bethlehem, they say after the angels have gone. What they see is the very ordinary event of a mother and father with their new baby. Some of us can remember that ourselves. But with open hearts, full of awe, wonder, joy, excitement, and minds full of thoughts about the OMG experiences they've just had, the shepherds believe the angels and know this to be something that is not at all ordinary. And as they leave and go back to the hillside, to the sheep they were supposed to be looking after, they tell the story to, well, I suspect anyone who they pass and will listen. And I am in no doubt people would have been astonished. The shepherds begin a ripple of conversation and sharing of this good news and for more than 2,000 years it has spread and continues to spread. The ripple effect of this great event has spread because of the openness of heart of millions of good, loving people who, through their words and actions, have brought the good news of Jesus and God to others. And I am in no doubt that the world still needs this message. Go on. On this Christmas, continue tossing stones of love into the world, especially at this most difficult time in humanity's existence. thanks to Simon. It's been really good to hear the story in such detail, hasn't it, this mm-hmm. year? Right. Well, we're okay. off. Time to go? Yes. Time to go. Are we going to do a joke, Paul? Uh, right. I was just hoping that we might get some news from Boris before the, we finish this podcast on the Brexit negotiations. Yeah, as the final day was last Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Again. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay, here's some Brexit thoughts to leave with. So, why is Christmas dinner a lot like Brexit? Well, I can't begin to imagine why Christmas dinner is a lot like Brexit. Well, you see, half the family were told that they needed to make room for Turkey, so they opted to leave Brussels. (laughs) Yeah, okay, all right. (laughs) Leave you with that Boris-inspired thought. For the day. Right, folks, we're back with the next episode tomorrow. Yes. Look forward to seeing you all. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.